Uh, have you guys ever walked into a room and forgot why you were there? Yes. Has that ever happened to you? Is it just me? Am I, am I, I'm like getting old, so I feel like, I feel like it happens to me all the time. I'll go into a room and you're like, you have, remember you have to go back to the source, right? You have to go back to the room you were in and you look around and, ah, oh, I remember. Um, have you ever been looking for a pencil and you're looking everywhere for it and it turns out it was like on your ear the whole time? <laughs> Does that happen to anybody else? Just me. Okay. Wow, I am getting old. Um, how about you're looking for your cell phone and it's like in your back pocket the whole time? Does that happen? Anybody? Um, Anybody lose a child somewhere in a store? Has has anybody? Okay, wow. That's happened to more of you than the pencil thing. That is, that's not good. Uh, So, you know, it's it's, it's easy for us to get lost, right? And so what what we've been talking about in these last few weeks is, um, and you're kind of like, if you're new, we're kind of just taking a couple weeks and we've been looking at, We've been looking at how um, it's easy to take some wrong turns, and usually when you take a wrong turn, when it comes to a map, or if you, know, if you forget why you're in a room, you have to go back to the source. That's the way you kind of find your way again. And what we've been talking about is that the church of Jesus Christ um, has, has if, if, if we got to be honest, when we look back in history, there's been a lot of wrong turns that, that the church of Jesus has taken. Now, uh, and when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about like lower C church, like your local church. I'm talking about the capital C church, the church of Jesus Christ. And here's what we know about the church. The church is not a day. It's not a day of the week. Uh, the church is not, um, is not a place. It's not a building. That the church of Jesus is a people. It's, it's, it's a group of people. So when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about church gatherings, okay? Because church gatherings are what? They're church gatherings, okay? Um, it's not, a church gathering isn't the church. It's an expression of the church. But when we're talking about the church, we're talking just the church that spans geography and, and generations and history, and, uh, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to be a part of the church. That it's not just a, pl- it's not a place and it's not a day of the week, but it's a people. In fact, it's also this. And we looked at this because Paul said this last week that it's actually a new, the church of Jesus is a new way to be human. It's actually a new way to be human. Does that sound like it's like too much to say about the church? Because that's exactly what Paul says last week. And we looked at, we looked at in, in Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul says that, that God is doing this crazy thing where he wants the world to see who he is. But instead of like kind of coming out of the clouds, you know, like with a big entourage, he's chosen to use the church to reveal himself. And that Paul said last week that he wants to create a new humanity. Wow. That's incredible. We usually don't think of church as like a new way to be human. But when you're a part of the church of Jesus Christ, you're entering into a, a, new, a new way to live. It's just a, it's just a whole new ballgame when you start following Jesus. The reason why a lot of us don't think of a new way to be human is because some of us, we look back at church history. We look, you look back at your own experience. You look back at maybe your parents' experience with church. And there's a lot of people that have a deep, deep um, skepticism towards the church. And as we've said for the past few weeks, for, for good reason. I mean, the church has, it's, it's kind of an understatement to say that the church has taken some wrong turns along the way. There have been, there have been horrific things. 
Um, we've all looked at the news with the, you know, the, the sexual scandals in, in, in the church. We've, we've, we've sat back and watched, uh, you know, church, you know, like cr- people who say they're Christians, but then take the power that they have and twist it and abuse it and use it for their own purposes. And it's, and it's heartbreaking when we see that. And what I want to submit to you is that, is that when we see that to, in today's world and when we see that in church history, that they weren't doing that because of their faith, they were doing that in spite of their Christian faith. Does that make sense? If they weren't doing those things because their Christian faith directed them to do it, is they were actually living in opposi- opposition to what the Christian faith actually teaches us. And so, you know, if you're skeptical of church, then this sermon series that we've been in is the perfect, it's the perfect place for you because we just want to be honest about the, 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 you know, the missteps that the church has taken, but we also want to go back to the source. Listen, if, if, if you want to talk about somebody who is skeptical of church, Jesus, Jesus was, was a fierce opponent to church. To empty religion. Empty religion. Jesus was always in combat with the people in his day who were just sort of living out their religion, but just in, in ugly ways. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is, is, is preaching and teaching, and he says this. He says, he's talking about the church. He says, you are the salt of the earth, which is supposed to be a good thing. Salt is good. You're, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And that's where a lot of people are today, is they're asking, what good is the church? Do we even need it? Um, How does it impact my life? Um, And so I, in this sermon series, I'm just begging you, the answer isn't to throw out the church. The answer is to go back to the source of what the church is all about to enter back into our identity as the church. And so we've been talking about that and just taking different looks at it. Um, and I just want to ask, what would it look like for us to have such a compelling vision for what the church of Jesus should be about, that it would be so compelling for others that at, at least, maybe even if they don't decide, you know, they want to follow Jesus too, at least it would launch some compelling conversations with some of your friends who are really skeptical about, like, what is this whole thing about? What would it look like for us to have a compelling vision for the church of Jesus? Um, have you, has any, any of you guys ever traveled abroad? You've gone to some other countries um, and experienced some other cultures? There's this real thing called culture shock that happens when you're in a new country. It's just like different culture. Um, when you go to new places, so there's different food, and you're always trying different food. Uh, when I was in Africa, I ate lots of bugs, all right, because they eat bugs there in South Africa. So I, I was there, so I had to try it, you know. Um, when you go to other countries, they, they talk different, they act different. I remember I was in, uh, and there's like a disconnect sometimes when you're in another country. I remember Christy and I were on a, on a Europe vacation, you know, trip thing, backpack through Europe, and we were in, um, we were in Prague, in the Czech Republic, and I remember we were get, trying to catch a train, and I went up to the, the train kiosk because I needed some information from this lady that was there, and, you, you know, I didn't want to come off like the arrogant uh, American that, you know, is expecting everybody to, to, like, speak my language, so I wanted to know if she spoke any English because I certainly didn't speak any Czech, you know, so I went up to her, and I was trying to, I was just like, hey, do you speak English just a little bit, and she looked at me, and she, like, growled at me. And then she, in perfect English, went off on me on the, t- on the top of her lungs. Because, see, when I came up to her and said, hey, do you speak English a little bit? She took it as, like, you know, me, like, demeaning her intelligence. Like, hey, do you, you know, like, you speak a little bit, don't you? You know, dummy. You know, that's how she took it. 
And she went off on me and everybody in the train station stops and watches and I'm just like dying a thousand deaths. And I'm like, oh, that's not what I meant. But you know, it was lost in translation. And so I just walked away with my tail between my legs and um, didn't get my question answered, you know? Um, when you go to a different country, there's, there's culture shock, right? You're in a new sort of culture. And nobody understands this like Jesus understands this. Because what we know about Jesus is Jesus is like the ultimate missionary. Jesus comes, and it's what we celebrate at Christmas. He comes, and he becomes a human being. And, and he's like engaging in a whole different kind of culture. It's like this cross-cultural culture, ministry that Jesus is engaged in that he does so perfectly. Nobody does it like Jesus. Jesus retained his identity as Jesus Christ and didn't sort of fall into the surrounding culture. And yet he placed himself in the surrounding culture in a way where he was accessible, where people could understand him. I mean, Jesus found this incredible balance of being a part of the culture without being a part of the culture. And when we follow Jesus, we are called to the same sort of balance. How in the world are we supposed to live in this kingdom that we're a part of um, in, in, this, in, this, you know, in, in, in the world that we live in, and yet at the same time be the church of Jesus Christ because it's a little bit like living in a culture that isn't familiar to you, and you kind of have to you know, find your way through the culture. Um, what does that look like? That's what I want to, I want to read a passage of scripture to you that's just the perfect place for us to look at how in the world do we live in this, in this tension? How do we live out this new identity? Because listen, we aren't going out into the world um, to be, you know, we aren't going out in the world just trying to be moral. We're just not going out into the world just trying to be good so that God will love us. We're not going out in the world just trying to be moral and good because we think we're better than anybody else. We are literally, as we follow Jesus, we're literally just reciprocating the great grace and love that our God has bestowed upon us as we go out and we live in the world. That it isn't about us trying to look good. It's about us trying to make him look good. And so when you do that, it's going to create a new kind of identity, a new kind of humanity. How do we live in this tension? That's what I want to look at today. And I'm just going to give you a heads up. It is, it's a hard tension. It's hard. It's hard to follow Jesus and, and have the, the culture of the church and yet be in the middle of the culture that's surrounding us. Guys, it is Hard. There's no easy answers, but this passage of scripture that we're going to look at is going to help us. I'm going to take you uh, to uh, to the book of First Peter. This is written by Peter. Ah, see, uh, it's easy. It was written by Peter, and Peter is one of the disciples of Jesus. And this is uh, he's probably writing this from Rome. And at the time, in the year like around 64, 65, 66 AD, Nero is the emperor of Rome. And I don't have time to get into how bad Nero was, but things were bad in Rome. And Christians were being burned at the stake. Christians were being tossed into the gladiatorial arenas. It was a bad, it was a hard time to be a Christ follower in that region. And so Peter, he's writing this letter to, to these other Christians who have been pushed out and dispersed and displaced all over sort of like the known kingdom. And he's writing them. And he, he, in this letter, it's a beautiful encouragement to what does it look like for us to live in this, in, in this Babylon? How, what's this, what is it like? To, how do we as Christians live in this world around us and yet hold on to our identities but also participate? participate in the world around us. And this is 1 Peter, and i got to read it to you. Here it goes. It's uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to just start in verse 1. Here's, here's what Peter says. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, 
crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tested that the, or tasted that the Lord is good. By the way, he starts with therefore. That means that you need to pay attention to the chapter before. And, uh, you know, I think if you've been to Bible college, they say, you know, whenever you see a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for, you know? So I don't have time to read you chapter one, but what Peter's talking about in chapter one is all identity. Hey, this, now that you're following Jesus, this is who you are. And so he's taking it in chapter two and he says, therefore, that means that we're going to get rid of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, not because we're better than other people, not because we think that we're going to earn God's favor. No, it's because this is who you are now. And he goes on, he's in, uh, in, in verse four. So as you come to him, The living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to skip ahead to verse 9. He says this, but you, he goes on with identity, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I'm just picturing like if you're, I just, at this point I just picture like imagine you're sitting at Starbucks with Peter and he's just having a conversation with you. I feel like at this part of the conversation um, he would, you know, a pumpkin spice latte would come on over and maybe like a scone and he would just sort of like lean in across the table with you and he would say, okay, listen. And then he starts with verse 11. He says, so therefore, dear friends, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So much good stuff in here. Um, notice, notice Peter, he uses the imagery of foreigners and exiles. Maybe your translation might say temporary residents. Uh, I think the, the, the King James says pilgrims, which I love. That you're pilgrims, you're pilgrims in this world. It's this idea that we're living in this land, but it's not our, but it's not our true home. Um, the, what I think of when I think about this is, is a couple weeks ago, some people from Westside, we went on a backpacking trip. I got a, picture of, uh, got a picture of the campsite that we were at, all right? So you got the lake over here. This is, my, this is our tent. I have my two eldest boys with me. And here's what we did is we, we, uh, we hiked in like three miles up to the Rosary Lakes, and we pitched our tent. We had our little space there. And, you know, that was our home, right? That was our home away from home. But that's not like our home right? It was a little bit cramped. It was a little bit uncomfortable. Um, There was some strange smells um, going on in the tent at night. Um, I swear it was like, I I made sure that both the boys used the restrooms before we got into the tent at night. And then it was, it was 445 in the morning and I hear, you know, and Jeremiah's like tapping on me. He's like, dad, I gotta go. I'm like, number one or number two. He's like, oh, number two. And I was like, oh, no. Because it's just a big pain, right? You got to, like, dig a hole. It's dark outside. There's bears out there. Like, I don't want to. I'm comfy. And so I'm like, I'm like, oh, Jeremiah, like, how long can you hold it? Can you hold it? 
And he's like, yeah, I think I can hold it. I was like, okay, good. Like, how long do you think you can hold it? Because I'm thinking like two hours. And he's like, and he's like, ah, two minutes. (sighs) Ah. So it was a great home, right? But it's, not, but it's not home. But we were temporary residents there. We did our best, but we weren't staying there, right? That's what happens. And something happens when you go on long hikes is when you kind of like adopt this, this attitude of radical minimalism when you go on long hikes. So for those of you that have gone on like multiple day long hikes, um, it's, it's, you think you're going to pack all this stuff that you need, but when you're hiking 18 miles a day and you're, you know, you, you quickly realize what stuff you need and what stuff you don't need. Okay. One time I hiked South Sister. is the first time I hiked it. And, uh, you know, for those of you that hike South Sister, you guys know it's super easy. <laughs> Not. All right. It's really, really hard. And I, th- I packed like a big book because I was like, I'm going to read when I get to the top. And I like, I dumped that book like halfway up. I'm like, don't need this, you know. Um, and so, you know, if, if you've heard of the Pacific Crest Trail, it's 2,500 miles. It goes from Mexico all the way up to Canada, and people hike it. It usually takes between four and six months, and they hike just a bunch of miles every day. And the people that do that are just like, they do crazy stuff. They, they, they just radical minimalism. I've got friends who do that thing where it's like they weigh every single little thing. You have, you're going to bring a toothbrush, right? Right, but you just cut it in half because that ounce... Like, with the, like compiled over 2,500 miles, it matters. So you're cutting your toothbrushes in half, bringing a towel? Heck no, you've got like dirty clothes to be your towel, you know? You just bring one of everything. I mean, it's just super radical because you're on a mission. You're on a journey. You're not living there. You're, you're passing through. And this language is supposed to give us this idea that as Christ followers that we're called to live here. But also, this isn't our true home. But what can so often is we live in this life and we just compile. The Christian life, sometimes we just pile all sorts of stuff onto us that we just don't need. We just pile it on and we just believe that the narratives of if you just have money, you'll be somebody. And if like, people know who you are, then you'll have an identity. And we just pile all this stuff on us and it just weighs us down. And when you realize that, no, I'm just passing through, it actually is freeing. It's so freeing. It frees you from not trying to cram eternity into, an, into a moment. When you try to cram, when you think that this life is all there is, you're going to try to cram everything you can into it because i got to get as much pleasure as possible. I have to get as much. i got to minimize pain, get as much pleasure. But when you realize that you're just passing through, and when the Christian realizes that this isn't all there is, man, it's so freeing. Pain and, 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 you know, and loss don't have to shipwreck me. And also money and fame don't have to, don't have to inflate me. Like, so I can have a true identity in the midst of all that. And this is what Peter's trying to say. He says, you're strangers and exiles. Please don't try to live as if you're not. And then he says, I urge you as, as, you know, as, as temporary residents, as pilgrims, listen to what he's about to do. He says this, he says, Christians, he's about to say this, Christians are supposed to have a compelling character that is defined by what we don't do that the rest of the world does and by what we do that the rest of the world doesn't do. He's about to, he's about to, he's about to say this. He's about to tell us that Christians are supposed to be marked with this compelling character that is, that is marked by what we don't do that the rest of the world does and thinks is fine and by what we do that the rest of the world doesn't do. Look at what he says. He says, dear friends, I urge you, this is verse 11, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. 
And Peter is talking about this thing that, that if you're following Jesus, then hopefully you, you feel, you feel very acutely that when you start to follow Jesus, something happens where you realize, you realize how broken you are. Um, I was having lunch with, with somebody this last week and they were talking about, they were talking about how like before they were, before they were a Christian, like they just thought they just sort of made mistakes. Like sometimes you make mistakes, but when they became a Christian, like something broke inside where they, you realize just how, how ugly it is in here. And how messed up it is in here. And when you start to follow Jesus, your eyes are open to this reality that like, oh my gosh, I, I can't fix this with just behavior modification. I can't just fix this with some veneer over the top. Like something's got to go down deep because it's like it's shattered in here. And so what we believe is as we follow Jesus is that there's this civil war that's, 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 at, that's currently going on in our hearts, that we have all these desires and these needs and wants and feelings, and some of them are beautiful and good, but some of them are destructive. And so the, 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 the path of following Jesus, and it's not easy, but the path is I, I take these desires and I submit them to the authority of Jesus in my life. I submit them to this new identity that I have in Christ, and that I don't, I don't just follow every feeling that I have that's bouncing around in me. And so Peter says, hey, be careful that there's these desires that are waging war. What are these desires? Well, Paul, in, in, the, book of, in the book of Galatians, here's what he says. He, he talks about some of these desires. I'll just read them to you, and I'm going to read them to you in the version of the, of the message, because I just like how the message says it. It says this. Paul says, it's obvious what kind, of, what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. He says, this is what these sinful, fleshly desires are. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, an all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, and I could go on, he says. This isn't the first time I've warned you, he says. You know that if you use your freedom this way, if you, if you don't submit these desires that you have, if you don't acknowledge that there's this civil war in you, that there's these things that are in you that are just, that if you let them go to the top, man, he says, then listen, then, then you won't be able to inherit the kingdom of God. And so the Christian doesn't just do everything we feel or we want. We, we're waging a long campaign against our flesh and we're submitting those desires to Jesus. Um, I actually, I, I ordered something from Taiwan like a couple months ago. It was off of Amazon, but it came from Taiwan. And, uh, and I ordered, it was like a shirt or something. But I opened up the package and inside was like a little freebie in there. It was a little, little bracelet. And I was in my car and, uh, and I see this bracelet and I read what's on it. And I'm like, oh, I got to take a picture of this and preach on it. Okay, because look, this is what it said. Never stop yourself. I was like, what a, what a message this is. And I didn't know if it was like, if this is what, like, if this is really like what people in Taiwan believe, or it's just like, it's what they think that Americans believe, you know, because they're sending it over here. But I saw that and I was said, and I said, that is the worst thing you could ever do. But see, when, when the Christian says, hey, there's some desires that we have 
that, that, aren't, that, that we need to submit to Christ, the world sees that as tyranny. The world sees that as utter tyranny. The world looks at that and says, don't you ever let somebody else tell you what you can't do. The world says, don't you ever, um, you know, say, let any, somebody else name who you are. We are one of the only civilizations to, ever, to have ever existed that says, that says, hey, don't, don't wage war against the stuff inside you. No, 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 no. Here's what you need to do. Our culture says, no, no, no. You need to, you need to discover it. You need to listen to it. You need to explore it. You need to feed it. You need to champion it. You need to create an identity around it. You need to express it. And then you need to push for legislation and rights around it. And then you need to go to war with anybody who threatens it. That's what our culture says. Our culture says, no, 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 don't you let anybody tell you what, what, who you are, what you, these desires in you, they are you. And so you, that your truth is your truth. You be you. Do what makes you happy. And in the middle of all that, Jesus is whispering to his people, not a good idea. It's going to lead to so many destructive things. Trust me, trust me, trust me, Jesus says. Christ followers, we live a different way. That's why Peter, he, bring, he has the, the pumpkin spice and he says, I urge you, I urge you. As foreigners and exiles, this is who you are. Wage war against the, these desires that are bumping around in your soul. But then notice what he does next. He, does, he talked about what we shouldn't do that the rest of the world does, but then he says, Here's what you should do. And this is what he says. I love this. He says, uh, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Notice what he says. He says, here's what I want you to do. There's some things you need to do. And before we get into some of the things that we need to do, because I have some ideas, and we're going to look at some things that Christians have done historically to live such good lives, that even though people don't agree with with our theology or our doctrine, they look at our lives and they say, whoa, that is compelling. What is that about? I'm going to give you some ideas. But before, we've got to say this, because Paul gives us a warning. He says that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they would see your good deeds. And so here's what we just have to acknowledge, that if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to be prepared that there's going to be lots of people that just don't understand. They just don't understand. And there's going to be accusations. There's going to be, there's going to, people are just aren't going to stand what it, what it looks like for us to follow Jesus. And so we're going to have to walk through some accusations. And just know, listen, you got to be prepared for that. You have to break the fear of man in you. Otherwise, you're just gonna you're just gonna you know just kind of capitulate to anybody who who you know is frustrated with what you believe. So you got to break that that power of of the fear of man in you. Um, but uh, but we're in good company as Christ followers if if of being being uh, accused of things because Christians from the very beginning from the very beginning in the first century were accused of all sorts of things. The surrounding culture in that day and age just didn't understand Christians. So Christians in that day were accused of being anarchists. Because they didn't believe in the, the pantheon of gods. They just believed in one God. And so the surrounding culture said, you guys are atheists. They were also accused of, uh, sorry, I, I said anarchists. Because they, they, refused to, they refused to call Caesar Lord. And so people called them anarchists. They called them atheists because they didn't believe in the pantheon of religions. They just believed in one God. They were also accused of being cannibals. So this was a big deal in the first century. They were accused of being cannibals. Because, they, you know, like, hey, what do you guys do in your church services? Because they had to meet in secret. 
And so they were meeting in secret. And so they're like, what do you guys do there? And it's like, well, you know, we, we just come together and then we share this meal and it's, you know, it's the body and the blood of Jesus. And then they're like, oh, dang, they're eating people in there. Oh, man. And so they're accused of being cannibals. They were accused of incest because, because they would call each other brothers and sisters. And then, and then they were called to, then, you know, it's like they're brothers and sisters. And then they're greeting each other with a holy kiss. And people are like, people are like what? Because, you know, uh, Paul in two places, he says, hey, greet each other with a holy kiss. By the way, I was in a church service in Latvia, of all places, long ago. And we're in the church service. And, the, and it was in this language we didn't know. But there, there was, it was really traditional. And there was this one point where the pastor said, all right, now greet each other with a holy kiss. And they actually took it seriously. Like you were literally supposed to turn and kiss each other on the lips all right? And I turned this way, and it's one of our team members that I was with, and I was like, no, thank you. And so then, but you know, you're a part of the culture, so you got to, you know, you got to enter in. And I turned this way, and there's this big Latvian man <laughs> with a really big mustache. And he's coming in for it. And so I'm like, when in Latvia, you know, it's like, hey. They were accused of being, of, of, of incest. They were accused of all sorts of things. And so if you're following Jesus, if you're following Jesus, you're going to be accused of all sorts of things. I've got two examples, present-day examples, all right? Um, so there was this hearing not, not too long ago, and you can Google it if you want. There was this hearing of this senator where he was being questioned about some things, and, and the questioning kind of took this angle of talking about his faith, and this senator happened to be a Christian. And so the person asking the questions asked, hey, do you believe that Muslims and Christians worship the same God? Do you believe they worship the same God? And the guy answered, no, I, I don't think they worship the same God. I think we believe different things about salvation and about, you know, about what the ultimate reality is. And so, no, I don't believe that, that we worship the same God. I think Christians worship the true God. Now, that, that statement shouldn't be, um, shouldn't be inflammatory. Like, it shouldn't be controversial. You know what I mean? Um, because the reality is, is different religions believe different things. They just do, okay? If you talk to a Muslim and they think they know you're a Christian, they think that you're wrong, okay? Um, if you're a Buddhist, then a Buddhist thinks that because I'm a Christian pastor, that, that, uh, that I'm going to have to relive my life over and over again because they believe in reincarnation and that, that I will learn through suffering to get my act together. So different religions believe different things. That shouldn't be controversial, Okay? But this statement that the senator made was so controversial because then the language, then on social media and afterwards, the language that was being used about what this senator said was people said that uh, he's Islamophobic, he's anti-Muslim, he's a racist. And that when Christians try to make a distinction about what we believe and what other people believe, oftentimes then it becomes this language of saying you hate people. Anybody who disagrees with you. And the, the frustrating thing about that is that, is that um, the one thing in our culture that Christians aren't allowed to believe is that other people are wrong. And yet at the same time, the, whole, the one thing our culture insists on is that everybody should believe that Christians are wrong. And so it's just like this strange sort of thing that we live in where no matter what we say, as loving as we can say it, there's just going to, just some people are just not going to understand. Not going to understand like this Christ in us that isn't looking down our noses at anyone. And yet at the same time, we're going to be accused that we are. The other example is from my, uh, from my girl, Tay Tay. Taylor Swift, that's her other name, all right? Uh, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift has, uh, has a new song out, um, has a new song out called You Need to Calm Down. Have you guys heard this song? It's super catchy. 
Um, I actually got online and watched the music video the, the other day. It was an interesting music video. It was good. Um, but the idea of, the, of Taylor's, Taylor Swift's song, You Need to Calm Down, is just this idea that is, if, you, if, you, if you're a person who doesn't believe, or if you're a person who sort of believes in the traditional idea of marriage, or if you're somebody that, that sort of has, has some, some, some sort of ideas about what sexual ethics should look like in our world, that if, you sort of, if you're somebody that draws any lines there, you're a bigot, you're a hater, you, are, you, you really need to calm down. <laughs> that's the rhetoric that's kind of been out there about us Christians, is that we just hate people and we just want to take everybody's fun away. And listen... That's not the truth, but at the same time, you just got to be prepared that if you're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be misunderstandings. People just aren't going to understand. Peter says, hey, even though they accuse you of doing wrong, but he says, what should you do in the midst of that? How do you, how do you live in, in that place? Here's what he says. He says, you need to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they see your life and it's so compelling and they say, what is that? Christians have done this historically in, in a bunch of different ways. I've just have, I just have four. Christians have done this in all sorts of ways. Here's the first one. is that One of the first ways that Christians have, have lived such good lives among the pagans that it makes just everyone stop and say, what is that? Is this? Is it's impartial, no strings attached, compassion. Impartial, no strings attached, compassion. Um, we, we know a lot about the early Christian church and what they did and how they lived. And one of the fascinating things about the early Christians, and one of the things that the world just stopped and took note of, was how, how Christians responded to the sick and the hurting in, in their society in those early centuries. Because Christians have, have at the center, we have Jesus who says, who says that everyone is made in God's image, that everyone is valuable. Christians, when we follow Jesus, it means that we look, no matter what you believe, no matter who you are, no matter what your past is, no, we're going to give compassion, compassion, compassion. And Christian did, Christians did this. So here's one Greek historian who's talking about how bad those early plagues were that swept through lots of different places across the world in those days and just wiped out whole towns. He describes it this way. He says, they died, this is just people in general, they died with no one to look after them. Indeed, there were many houses in which all the inhabitants perished through lack of any intention or care. The bodies of the dying were heaped up, one on top of the other. No fear of God or law of man had a restraining influence. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them in the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt." hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. And in the midst of that craziness, here's what was said from those early historians about Christians. They said this, Heedless of the danger, they took, tar- they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. That when everybody else was fleeing the cities because of these, these diseases, guess who stayed? These Christ followers stayed 
And they just cared for people. We have one letter from Emperor Julian who wasn't a Christian. And he's writing one of his priests, one of his like pagan priests. And he has a comment about, Christian, about Christians. He says this. He says, I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by our priests, the Galileans, those Christians, they observed this and they devoted themselves to benevolence. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. This is a letter from Emperor Julian this t- talking to his priest like, hey, we need to get our act together because these Christians are outperforming us in compassion. It was common practice in the early, in the early days for unwanted babies to be left out to die. It happened all the time. It was just rampant in that world. So if sometimes if you had a female, it wasn't, a female wasn't looked on as, as favorably as having a male. So sometimes if you had a, a baby girl, your baby girl would be left out to die. Um, people would, uh, the abortions were really hard to, to do back then, and there was a lot of complications to it, and so a lot of babies came out deformed because of, because of in, you know, improper abortions, and so if a baby was deformed, they were left to die, and here's what we know about these early Christians, and it's just, it's just powerful and beautiful that these early Christians said, nope, no, they are made in the image of God. We're gonna, hey, you don't want them? We'll take them. And Christians just started walking around in the streets picking up babies, unwanted babies. We have, we have, we have uh, accounts of Christians who they would get up in their, in their small gatherings and they'd say, hey, we have five babies here. Who wants them? You want this one? Great. You want this one? Awesome. And it became so known that Christians did this that it became a habit that instead of people leaving them out on the street, they would take them to the monastery. Because they knew that the monastery would be the place. This is the beginning of the orphanage, everyone. Did you know that Christians invented hospitals? Did you know that? Now, hospitals have always existed when it comes to armies. Like if you have a traveling army, you always have like a hospital connected nearby to care for the wounded of the army. Or rich people had hospitals or they had like personal doctors. But the idea of a hospital that was going to care for, no matter, care for you no matter who you are, no matter how much you can pay or not pay, just, just because you're a human being, you can come here and we're going to serve you and help you. Christians, Christians, Christians. Why? Because Jesus is at the center of who we are. Because we're a new kind of people. And the world sees that and steps back and says, wow, I don't believe with your, I don't, I don't know if I believe your theology, but man. That is compelling. Compassion. Number two is this. They joyfully and skillfully contributed to culture. Joyfully and skillfully com- uh, contributed to culture. And here's what we have in the Old Testament. We have these Christians who have been abducted by Babylon. They're in this, this strange land. And you would think that their strategy would be to like, you know, to infiltrate the inside, you know, like get, reach to the top and stab somebody in the back, you know, like, you know, just be super subversive and, and mess with the culture. But here's what, here's what the prophet Jeremiah says to these Christians who are in this strange land. He says this, this is what the Lord Almighty, this is from Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What a beautiful vision. 
And so Christians have, take this seri- have taken this seriously. And there's all sorts of things, places I could take you with. When it comes to science, you know, some of the biggest contributions to science throughout history have been from, guess who? Christians. Not because that they were, you know, it's the, the idea that science is anti-faith is like not even true at all. These were people who realized that God created this incredible world and it's our job to steward it and understand it. So Copernicus, Sir Francis Bacon, Johann Kepler, Galileo, Descartes, Blaise Pascal, Isaac Newton, Robert Boyle, Michael Faraday, William Kelvin. You remember some of these names from chemistry and physics class. These are all people who were devout Christians who loved Jesus and followed him and wanted to understand his world. Let's talk about literature. We've got people, even today's world, Malcolm Gladwell, Maya Angelou, G.K. Chesterton, J.R.R. Tolkien, devout Christ followers. Um, Talk about education. In in 1932, 96% of the 182 U.S. colleges in the United States were Christian colleges. That Christians have always said, hey, how do we educate people? How do we educate not just the elite, but how do we get education to the lowest class possible? So Christians were the one that said, hey, let's elevate the status of women. Women should be educated. In, in a culture where women weren't allowed to, Christians says, no, 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 no. Let's talk about music. Um, Handel, Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, Mendelssohn, Stravinsky, all Christians, Brahms, Schubert. Chance the Rapper, <laughs> NF, praise God. We've got some really good Christian artists. Um, we want to talk about art, the art world. Don't even get me started. Here's the big point, okay? The big point is Christians have contributed to culture with beautiful creativity in such compelling ways that people have said, I don't know if I believe what you believe, but dang, that's good. Dang, that's good. Listen, I've got two more things that Christians have done throughout history that have caused just people to step back and say, wow, but you know what? Um, I need to bring our time to a close. I'm going to save those next two for next week. Uh, You got to come back next week.